My name is Amale Ojo, originally from Nigeria. And I'm Musumala Ojo, originally from Nigeria too. We'll be nine years married on uh, November 2nd. Giving has always been a practice for us. Even when things were financially challenging for us, we were still giving. We were still giving despite that. We've always had a, a relationship with God from the start, and we knew that uh, giving is what God expects of us. We've just always studied the Word and asking God for the grace to put the Word into practice. And God has been helping us with understanding His Word. And I'm just going to read uh, what Christ said in Matthew chapter 25, verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So which means that even when we give to help, you know, our brethren, brothers and sisters around us, we are actually doing it to God. We have to express our love back to him. It's written in the word that is the one that gives us the power to make wealth. So if he gives us the power to make wealth in appreciation back to him, we should give back to him to show a token of love. We should just see giving as an act of worship. You just have to trust God. You know, you have to trust God that is going to keep his word. Just trust him. I would never fail at his word. Well, good morning, Father's house. Oh, if you're here first service, you're probably wondering why is he there? Uh, well, Pastor Pierre is not feeling the greatest. That's not, I'm not kidding. He's really, he's sick. So uh, he preached first service. And so now here we are. So, and if you think that's a joke, it is not. Um, I've actually got his note. These are his notes right here. So you're about to see how talented we are. I'm just kidding. Um, we are in a series called the Bless Up. Oh, by the way, if you don't know me, I'm Josh. Uh, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. So it's great to meet you online. You guys are looking great. Um, I know you are. Albion and Monroe, thank you for tuning in today. Uh, this is going to be exciting. Uh, we are in a new series called Bless Up. All right, this is a series uh, just about generosity, finances, all those things. You might think, oh, this is an odd topic for a church. Um, it's really not. Uh, Jesus talked about money really more than he talked about uh, any other topic. Uh, talked a lot about money, which is actually interesting because it kind of shows you that the issues that humanity has in its relationship to money kind of transcends time uh, and culture. It, uh, that was written, the, the scriptures, Jesus was a first century uh, Christian, and they were dealing with uh, the control of money even then. And so it's pretty interesting when you can read things that were written so long ago, uh, yet we are still dealing with the same anxiety, the same control, the same money, greed issues as they were uh, even when Jesus was talking. We're actually in really good company. Uh, last week, Pierre talked about the fact that uh, money, it can add meaning to your life, uh, but it should not be the meaning to your life. Money is either going to add meaning or it's going to end up being the meaning. And you all know those people. There's probably none here, uh, but you know the people where it, money has become their everything. There's just something about them, the way they carry themselves, the way they walk, but money can actually add meaning. If you miss that service, 
You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find it right there. But today, we are going to talk about control. Control. Now, I have three children at home, um, so we have zero control, to be honest with you. Our, our youngest is two, and then we have a five-year-old, and then an eight-year-old. The eight-year-old's going on 45, so he's a little more of a help. Um, but I've been in, I, this has happened to all three of my children, and this is, the third one's my last one, so I'm not going to improve. This is it, okay? Um, every single child that I've had, uh, when they, between the ages of zero and like three or four, we just do not see eye to eye. It's a part of how we operate. So right now, my two-year-old and I are in a constant struggle for control. It's just how it operates. And I've never seen a child like her. Um, is she'll get to the point where she, she's two. She storms down the hall and she slams the door to her room. Um, she does, it's not a joke. She really does. It's crazy. And you're just kind of standing there like, I could take you off the earth, um, but that would be a problem. Um, and she doesn't understand it anyway. Like, it's amazing. And so, uh, and I don't do well in those moments because then for me, it's like, okay, now it's on. This is a game now. Let's go. Like, I'll fight you. Let's argue. And so then you're trying to, like, argue and reason with a two-year-old, and it's just completely insane. My wife has way more just all of the things you need for those situations. She's got every ounce of it. I have none. So she'll, my, my daughter, they'll be getting ready for bed, and she's mad at me. Like, so she'll, if I get to the doorway, she points and yells, no. Or she'll yell out. And I listen like an idiot. So like, and like, and I'll leave and be like, okay, fine. Like, I guess that's how our relationship is going to be. Uh, but we are in a constant battle and struggle for control. And I think if you actually look around your life, you will probably be able to find things in your life that are trying to control you. Like everywhere you turn, something is vying for your control. And I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that your money is either going to control you or you are going to control it. You, you have to look no further than the financial pressure that we find ourselves under right now. It's actually, you can't turn on the TV without hearing about inflation, without hearing about economic crisis, without hearing about gas prices. I just read a thing, I think it was in Bloomberg or the Wall Street Journal, that individuals, one-third, they did a study, one-third of individuals making $250,000 a year, 33% of them are living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, that drives me insane. I was so mad. I and mean, then I was like, actually, it's kind of nice. <laughs> like, I guess we're not alone. And so, like, one-third of people... $250,000 a year are living paycheck to paycheck. I think the epidemic of money controlling us far outweighs how much you can make in a year. I actually think there's something deeper happening in our wallets that is causing people who you and I might sit there and be like, man, if I did that, like who needs the Powerball when you've got that, you know? And so, but there's one third of people making that kind of money are living paycheck to paycheck. You see, financial pressure is actually a terrible place to live. And I actually think it, it, it uh, many of us feel it, like has, it has to do with how much we make, which I just explained that it doesn't. But it's actually, what are you doing with the money that you receive? What happens when the money gets into my hand? 
Because the way it makes us feel would make no sense to probably half the world's population. See, half the world's population, they look at our culture, and we, this is the stuff dreams are made of. We've, it's been coined forever, like the American dream. So the idea that we live in this state, it makes no cultural sense, the financial pressure that we live under. It just doesn't, because you would think that we'd have it made. So there's clearly something else happening. And I think the problem is we are, there is a vying of control of our everyday life. Something is vying for your control. And I believe that financial pressure is a sign that something is trying to control you. And if you are not careful, money will be that thing. But here's the great news, is that money is actually, it makes a way better servant than it does a master. Like money actually makes a better servant than it does a master. When you live a life where you're actually telling your money what to do rather than your money telling you what to do, you live a much happier life. Money makes a better servant because money will always go where you send it. It has no other option, okay? So like, for example, if you have every single streaming subscription, you're, you are telling your money where to go, okay? You actually don't need all of them. There's, you have friends with passwords, okay? I'm just saying. Anyway, no, I'm just joking. Uh, they're trying to crack down. They never will. We're smart. We're millennials, and we just get it, okay? So they'll never catch us. Um, and so, but your money will always go where you send it. It has no other option. Your money doesn't have legs. Your money doesn't have a brain. Your money has, it's just money. So it makes a way better servant than a master. It's just amazing how easy it controls your everyday existence. Is it not? Like some of you in the room today, tonight you are going to have a hard time sleeping because of financial pressure. Tomorrow morning you're going to go to a job that you can't stand because of financial pressure. Your world, if we're not careful, our world will revolve around the fact that we live under financial pressure. Now, I don't know about you, but the anxiety of finances, I just can't seem to think that that is the life that God designed. When I think about this, this life that Jesus talked about, life and life to the fullest, like he wants you to live in full, a fully satisfied existence, I find it hard to believe that if Jesus were here, he'd be like, yeah, I totally get it. I'm freaked out too. Like I have, I have absolutely no idea what we're going to do. 10% inflation, 12% inflation. Like what are we going to do? Should we just batten down the hatches? Like, oh my God, I don't think he'd be scratching his head at night like wondering. You know what I mean? I just don't think that's the life that God designed. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus in the room, if you do not consider yourself a Christian, you can scroll on Instagram for a bit, you can check your stocks, you can buy some Bitcoin, do whatever you want to do, okay? If you are a follower of Jesus in the room today, I want you to know that you are compelled to obey the words of Jesus. This is not just an addition to your life, this is not just, but you are compelled to believe what Jesus says about our relationship with money and to actually obey what he instructs us to do with it. Now, this is not a matter of wanting things from you. When Jesus talks about money, he's actually wanting something for you. We actually just saying about it. I'm going to get it out on my phone because I didn't bring my Bible to church, so there's that. Um, <laughs> 
All right. It's on our phones, people. Okay. This is what, this is what Jesus, we just sang this. These are the very words of Jesus. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body and what will you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. Now, again, you have to read this as though it is not poetry because it's not. Okay, Jesus is speaking very logically in this, that he is not writing a poem. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And you not more value than they? Like Jesus is saying, like, look at the birds. You see them freaking out? Like, aren't you more valuable than a bird? Then he, say, then he goes on. He goes, are you, are, are you, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Has anyone in the room, by a show of hands, and even online, you can put it in the chat, how many of us have ever been able to get a 25th hour out of our day because of our anxiety? No, I actually think it steals time more than anything because uh, you lose sleep and then you wake up feeling lethargic. Anyway, uh, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and soon in Rochester will be dead because of winter, he will not much more clothe you. And then Jesus says, you of little faith, don't be anxious, saying things like, what are we going to eat? Where are we going to get our next meal? How are we going to pay for this thing? What are we going to do about our budget? What about our bank account? What are we going to do for the Gentiles? They seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then he says this, and this is the crux of everything we are going to talk about. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Again, this is not poetry. This is not just some nice idea that he had. Jesus is literally laying out the reality of our existence. We can be anxious about everything, but what's the point? What is it ever added? And then Jesus says, but seek first his kingdom, and all of these things that you're anxious about will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. I like what Paul writes because Paul talks about walking by the Spirit, which is such a wonderful, like a wonderful thought. Like the Holy Spirit is with us, so he's given us the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul says. The Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, anxiety can be directly attached to the fruit of the Spirit. Your anxiety, you can measure how well you are living the fruit of the Spirit by how anxious you feel. This is just the reality of life. I know my own life. I know if anxiety has gripped my soul, maybe I have an issue with self-control. You see, because our, 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 our culture, our, our world is actually governed by a culture. Because our, our culture is definitely producing fruit. It's a culture that says you need to work harder. 
A culture that says you need to produce more. A culture that says never be satisfied with the status quo. A culture that says if you just work and apply yourself and grind until you are just dead, then maybe you will find satisfaction. And then you meet someone who has grinded their way through life. And for whatever reason, when they get to the end and they're nearing the age of retirement and you ask them, what would you do differently? The answers are so predictable. I would have spent more time with my family. I would have rested more. I would have taken more breaks. I would have done more things that were fun and enjoyable. I would have looked around a little more and experienced life. But our culture is screaming at us that you will never have enough. So that's why we say, if I just had more money, then I'd give more away. If I could just work another job, then maybe, maybe we'd be good. Like, would you though? Would it actually solve the anxiety? Our world is governed by a culture, and it's actually attacking your disordered desires. It attacks our disordered desires, and it gives us deceptive ideas. This idea that we will not be happy unless we have X, Y, and Z. I will not be fulfilled unless I have X, Y, and Z. It's over-promising security and happiness. This is why Jesus, we talked about this verse last week. Jesus tells his disciples, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And it says the Pharisees who loved money heard all of this, and they were sneering at Jesus. Some say they ridiculed him. You cannot serve two masters. Now, master, that's obviously someone who is in control of another thing, another person. You can master a talent. You can master a skill. Like a master is someone who is in control by virtue of ownership. Now, us, you're in here today, and I, like, we're not having any masters. It's not just two masters. Like, I run my own universe. It is me and me alone. I create my own future. I make my own luck. I am the master of my domain. Like, this is it. I am me. But the truth is, whatever or whoever you place as the source of your ultimate hope for security and the means to your happiness, that is your controlling master. Where do you go to for security? Where do you go to for happiness? This is the source of your, this is your master, bar none. Security, happiness. Security, happiness. Where do you go when anxiety hits? What's your security? What's your happiness? That is your controlling master. So when Jesus talks about money, he understands this reality. You can't serve two masters. And something is contending for the control of your heart. So when Jesus addresses it, it's not him Jesus never talks about money from the standpoint that he just wants money. Like, Jesus never talks that way. He always addresses the thing that is contending for your heart. What is the object of who you trust? And what are you anchored to? Who is ultimately the Lord of your life? This is like the age-old question. And again, I don't know if you're like me. You've sat down, maybe, and you've mapped out your life as if you're sitting at a table with your life, okay? You're probably at the head of the table because you're super important. So like you sit at the head and then you've got it all worked out 
I mean, it is like the best house of cards you could ever fabricate, okay? And so, like, you've got at this seat next to you are your friends, and it's great. You've got a few, and, like, the older you get, you kind of pair out the, the fray friendships. You know those ones that, like, you hang out, you have a good time, but, like, you're getting older, and it's like, okay, i got to really buckle down on my friends now, okay? So you got, like, your serious, your close friends. It's, like, the girls you go out with still. It's the dudes that you can still, like, talk to and have fun. Maybe watch football together. Maybe they know a little bit of your vulnerable side. You know, it's those friendships, and they're great, okay? And then you got your spouse or your, your, your marriage on the other one, and, like, that can be a really tough seat. Okay, it's like some days it's really good, some days you're super confused, other days you're like, what are we doing here? And so like, but that's a, it takes a lot to manage, okay? It takes a lot of your time, friendships, then you got your kids, and like that, you're ready to just move that seat, okay? You're like, just get the seat out of here. You've got your job, which is a great, that's a great thing, like a job kind of, that, that is like the, the biggest label we have for ourselves, right? It's like you meet someone, hey, what's your name? Oh, and what do you do? Like, we love to talk about that seat. Like, that is the best seat, okay? And then, and then you, got, you can't forget your spiritual life. So, so you got church as a seat at your table, and it's awesome. Now, every once in a while, they ask you for money, and it, like, kind of freaks the job seat out. And then the spouse seat, you guys, it kind of starts an argument with the whole table. Um, but you know God's important. So every once in a while, like, you'll, you'll talk to that side of the table, maybe sitting on the other end because he's, he's important. And we've got this all mapped out. The issue is that God is not actually interested in just a seat at your table. Like, God wants to be the house, okay? Like, like God is actually more interested in being the house that your table is in, okay? This is when, when Jesus talks about seek first the kingdom. What he's actually saying is, I'm not interested in being a seat at your table. I'm actually interested in being your entire house. I want everything that you do to revolve around me and what I have for you. And that is how you find life and life to the fullest. Are you gripped with anxiety? Who's running your house? Are you having trouble sleeping at night? Where is Jesus at your table? Is he just another seat? Or is he running the entire house? He is not interested in just being a part of your life. He actually wants to be Lord of your life. Now here's the deal. For whatever reason, we find it very easy as followers of Jesus to trust God with our sin. We love that one. It's like you mess up and like restore the joy of your salvation, oh Lord. Like we, oh man, it's, it's awesome. It's like, it's like a get out of jail free card. Like we've made it this weird thing. Like it's so easy to trust God with our sin. The issues of the world that are outside of our control, super simple. Oh, let's just pray. God's got it. This is amazing. Let's just ask God to come. And do what only he can do. CJ makes fun of me because I pray that all the time. Oh, God, do what only you can do. It's like you run out of things to say. Well, do what only you can do. It's amazing. The miracles that happen when Jesus like, does what only he can do. It's outside of our control. It's so easy not to get stressed out about that stuff. But the moment you are confronted with the idea that God is your provider, that flips everything. The fact that, that God is your provider calls, it challenges everything. It's not your employer. It's not your education level. It's not how much you know. It's not how many things you've mastered. Those things are not your provider. The Lord of your life is your provider. If he provides for the birds of the air, how much more for you and I? 
Scripture talks about how he's a good father providing for every one of our needs. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. He wants to be the Lord of your life. The Lord of your life. Now, here comes uh, the challenge with all of this, okay? Because, again, he talks a lot about it. He talks a lot about how he's a providing God. He talks about seeking first the kingdom. And uh, then he, he will say, uh, where, where is it? So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to you? And then this is where faith uh, and trust come into, uh, come into practice. So uh, let me catch up. God first. The, the act of prioritizing God first. This is great. Uh, it's going to paralyze the power that wants to control you and own you through the fear of never having enough. When you put God first, it paralyzes the power of control over your life. This is a spiritual practice, okay? And again, you have to like, you have to be able to wrap your brain around this. This is why I'm talking to the followers of Jesus in the room, so if you're not and you think I'm crazy, that's cool. I'll be crazy, but I think what I'm saying is interesting. So uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, again, it's very easy to wrap your, for whatever reason, we were separated from God in our transgressions and sins. If you know the Romans road, you've heard it, okay? We, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then he actually, he actually reconciles us to God. That is an entire spiritual journey that if you just start to think about it, is miraculous. It's a miraculous thing, okay? It's a spiritual thing. Now, the act of giving is a spiritual practice. This idea that as I'm putting God first, something is happening in my life spiritually that is breaking the chains of control over my life. As I give, what I am doing is I'm saying, God, I don't understand how this is all going to work. God, I don't know what you are going to do about my finances, but God, I am trusting that you are faithful. I'm trusting that you actually are a good father. So God, like the woman with the two mites, I'm going to give out of every thing that I have, and I'm going to trust that you will provide for me. This is the act of prioritizing God first. In a culture that screams, you will never have enough, maybe God has a better way. It's about putting the principle into action. And this is where the rubber meets the road, because Jesus was actually interested in in an upside-down kingdom. So there's actually a moment in the story of Jesus where the disciples are arguing over who's going to be the greatest. You might remember this story. Like, Jesus is literally, they're at the Last Supper. Now, maybe they don't know it's the Last Supper because they had a horrible time piecing things together. Um, but they're, like, this is the last dinner that these guys are going to have together. Jesus is about to go through a really brutal evening, and these guys are arguing who is going to be the greatest among them? And Jesus, it was as if he got so fed up with the fact that after three years, they were still having a hard time grasping what he was trying to build. Scripture talks about how Jesus actually got up from dinner. Back then, they didn't have tables and chairs. 
uh, they reclined at tables, and they, they had their shoes off. They had to wash their feet when they walked in, but the disciples were so busy, and they would go to so many secret spots so they didn't get arrested and killed that generally they didn't have a person at the house to wash feet. So these guys are nasty. They're dirty, and they smell. They're eating dinner. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus, he literally gets up from the dinner table, he takes off his outer garments, which is already awkward. Now, this is like their Lord. For these, for, these, for these guys, he is the pinnacle of teachers. Okay, he is everything to them. There's no way he would actually do what he's about to do. And Jesus, after he does it, he says, I've shown you the way. You've called me Lord and Master, and that's what I am. But now I am your teacher. Go do what I do. No servant is greater than his master. No master greater than his servant. Now go and wash each other's feet. Jesus literally gets up, goes, goes guy to guy, and starts washing their feet. Peter, you know, had an issue with it. He's like, you're not touching my feet. Like, they're nasty, and you're not doing it. And he's like, if, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in what I have for you. The scripture doesn't, doesn't distinguish whether or not he washes Judas' feet. So we're led to believe that Jesus literally got down to the one who was betraying him in a few hours and washes Judas' feet. And he says, now that I've shown you, go and do likewise. You see, the act of putting God first, this is not a money issue, it's a heart issue. It calls into question, like, what are you willing to do for the least of these. What are, in what area of your life are you willing to sacrifice so that the gospel can be preached? In what area of your life are you willing to give up a little bit so maybe some might come to know Jesus? Our giving is an act of servitude. It's just the way that it is. In a culture that says hoard more, in a culture that says gain more, in the upside down kingdom of God, Jesus is saying how low can you go? How much can you possibly give away? How much can you empty yourself for the goodness of others? This is the act of putting God first. It is an upside down kingdom. It's the evidence that you are God's followers, and that you trust him with your ultimate hope, is when you are putting God first in every area of your life. The most tangible way that we have to do it is through the control that our finances have on us. Because again, you will either serve God or you will serve money. It is an incredible thing. And the last thing before we close, because I'm going to talk about, you got this card when you came in, and we're going to talk about that in a minute. But there's another area of uh, the story of Jesus that I find so, uh, so interesting because he says these things, everything that Jesus said, if you like really study it, it all narrows down to this. Like everything he was doing was like, you need to put me first. You need to give up everything and follow me. Every, every area of your life that has a control, like you need to be willing to drop everything and follow me. This was the life of the follower of Jesus. And he gets to this one story where Jesus is saying some wild things, okay? And, like, they didn't understand. And it literally says that all of his followers deserted him that day. All of them. And he turns back to the 12 
who've been with him since day one. These are the OGs. These are his day ones. This is it, okay? And he turns to them, and I think this is the question that God is asking every generation, every human being. I think he's asking every single person. He turns to them, he says, are you going to go too? Like, is this actually too much for you to handle as well? And Peter looks at him. He looks at his disciples. He looks at Judas, who's already stressed out. And like, he looks back at Jesus and he's like, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Church, may it be our prayer. Where are we going to go? Like, we've, we've tried every other option. And right now, we're banking on you having the very words of eternal life. Right now, my marriage is banking on Jesus being who he said he was. My family is banking on Jesus being who he said he was. Bank accounts, banking on it. Because where else are we going to go? So the question you have to ask yourself today, when it comes to your finances, to whom shall we go? Like, to whom shall we go? If the anxiety isn't doing it anymore, if working harder isn't really doing it anymore, grinding and grinding, you're missing games, you're missing dates, you're just missing life. If it's not working anymore, maybe there's a better way. Maybe listening to the man who said, if he cares for the birds, how much more does he care for you and I? Maybe listening to the guy who said, why are you so anxious? Who's ever added a day? But seek first his kingdom and everything else will be added to you. And so as a church, we need to figure out like easy on-ramps to make this stuff real. Because the moment you, get, you come face to face with what generosity can do for you, I promise you there is no better action than putting God first. This is a non-negotiable in our house. It's like for, for us, we know that like he is a provider who will provide for every one of our needs. We have stories upon stories of, of things. It's beyond comprehension how you get to a place where you're like, I think this anxiety is going to kill me. And then every single time we come back to the fact that generosity matters and time and time again, we are confronted with the real truth that God provides for his children. So today you received this when you walked in. And this is just a little bit of a practice for you. Just to say, you know what? I'm going to take three months and I am going to put God first in my finances. Maybe you need to sit down with your spouse and have a conversation. But our challenge for you today is for three months, put God first with your finances. For three months, say, you know what? Above everything else, we're going to cut back on eating out four times a week. We're going to go to Starbucks like two days less and save like 50 bucks a month. Like we're, we're going to do the things we have to do in order to put God first. And so at the, at the uh, left-hand side of every row, you can, uh, you're probably there. There's these yellow buckets. Now, if you just started coming to church during the pandemic, uh, we have not done this action in like three years. First of all, we were closed for like 18 months. And, uh, but there's something spiritual about the act of giving. 
And this idea of passing a bucket is just our tangible way, in the same way where we lift our hands to worship, we play music to worship, giving in the offering is an act of worship. So on the left side of every row, there is a bucket. And maybe you've had a couple minutes to fill this out. You can actually just put this right in the offering bucket. You can bring it to the welcome lounge. In fact, you can bring it back next week if you want to talk about it at home. But I want to pray, and then you can pass those buckets down, and then we're going to close. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God-first kind of God. God, we ask you that you would forgive us for the areas where maybe we've given up some control to everything around us. But God, we ask that today you would become our plumb line again. God, in those things that so easily entangle us, that today, even through this small act of committing to do this practice, that we would fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we thank you that you provide for every one of our needs. And God, for those of us in the room, who are struggling with the idea of finances. God, I pray that you would come to them. You would literally be Emmanuel, God, with us. God, that you would heal us of our anxiety. God, that you would calm our nerves. God, that you would remind us that you are a good Father who always provides. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.